if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the ninth morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Coming up in an hour from now, Ryan Morrow returns to the program. We haven't talked to Ryan for a bit. He's had a very, very busy schedule. But Ryan Morrow, the Director of National Intelligence for the Clarion Project, or the Clarion Intelligence Network, will be joining us to discuss the President's decision to remove U.S. troops from Syria and greenlight uh, a Turkish invasion, which has a lot of people very concerned about what that means for our Kurdish Christian allies in northern Syria who had been fighting ISIS for us for years. What does that mean going forward? Ryan Morrow, again, he is a Middle East uh, policy expert. He will be joining us coming up at 1010 to discuss that. First hour of the program, we are guest-free, and that means you can be the guest. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers gets you here. You can talk about what we are going to be discussing this morning momentarily. You can also tweet to me. Facebook comment to me or parlor comment to me uh, at any of those social media applications. Some of them are good. Some of them are not. But I use them all for the benefit of this program and to advance uh, education and knowledge. Uh, but you can find me at all of them at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces and no underscores. All right. So much to get into today, starting with the fact that the President of the United States, and the White House, uh, his entire administration, have basically made it clear to Nancy Pelosi, that's it. It's over. We will not cooperate with any of your nonsense until you do this the right way. You want to start an impeachment inquiry? Start it with a vote. You have to do it that way, or it's not going to be done at all. That's essentially what the uh, uh, Trump administration has told Nancy Pelosi. It started yesterday when Gordon Sondland was supposed to testify before the House Intelligence Committee in a closed-door secret setting so that nobody knows what is said, nobody knows um, uh, what information is provided, nobody knows what evidence is uncovered except for what the Democrats choose to leak to the media, which, of course, would be only that which is uh, in support of their agenda. So the White House has essentially said, that's it. 
We're not doing anything else until you actually have the vote. And you know what? I say it is about diggity dog on time. Good for you, President Trump. That is exactly how this should be played. If they are not going to follow the rules of precedent and actually allow the the uh, president's team and the Republican Party and the minority in the House to call witnesses, to issue subpoenas, to actually present a case in defense of the president, if they're only going to use this as a bully pulpit um, to control the agenda, the narrative, and the evidence, and so on and so forth without following the rules of precedent, then guess what? Do it on your own. We're not going to participate. They're, of course, screaming obstruction of justice, and let them scream. Honestly, they have no ground on which to stand here, none whatsoever. What the Democrats are doing uh, is probably unconstitutional, but I cannot verify that. It certainly is in violation, again, of the rules of precedent. Take a look at the way uh, the impeachment inquiry was begun for Richard Nixon. Take a look at the impeachment inquiry and the impeachment of uh, Bill Clinton. That one actually went to the Senate. Take a look at those. Those situations allowed the minority party involved to actually provide a defense or at least participate in the discovery. That is the way it's supposed to work. It's the way that it's always worked. What they are doing now is absolutely um, criminal in my view. And the Trump administration has said, we will not participate in your criminal activity. Put your names to the vote. That's it. Put your names to the vote. If you really want to open this inquiry, give us the ability to call witnesses ourselves and put your names to it. Nancy Pelosi, this is a direct challenge to you. We know that you have a lot of Democrat members in the Democratic House, controlled House, who live and and who... uh, preside right now over purple, if not flat-out, red districts, meaning these are districts that Donald Trump won, even if your particular opponent in the congressional races did not. So these are red-to-purple districts in which you will be very vulnerable if you vote to impeach the president without just cause. So put your name to a vote. And Nancy Pelosi knows full well that's what's going to happen. That's why she won't do it. So the president says, uh, and the president's team in the White House says, then we are just simply not going to participate because this is ridiculous. Now, how ridiculous is it? Let's talk about that. New report this morning. The whistleblower in the first, you know, the first whistleblower, if you will, the one to make the first complaint, which they did not make with the uh, Intelligence Committee, IG, Inspector General, they made the complaint to Adam Schiff's staff, which already just screams partisanship. This is politics. This is not about um, the law or about uh, constitutional powers. This is about politics. But that whistleblower, we found out a few days ago, was a registered Democrat. We found out that they supported someone uh, who was running against the President of the United States. Again, all of those things scream partisanship politics. This is an impeachment inquiry over politics because they can't beat him. But this new breaking news is, it isn't just a supporter. This whistleblower had a professional relationship with one of the 2020 Democrat candidates. Reports this morning uh, from Breitbart and others, the Intelligence Community Inspector General testified to congressional investigators that the so-called whistleblower who mischaracterized Donald Trump's call with the leader of Ukraine had a previous, quote, professional relationship 
with a 2020 Democratic candidate. This according to the Washington Examiner. Quote, the IG said the whistleblower worked or had some type of professional relationship with one of the Democratic candidates. One person with knowledge of the Inspector General, Michael Atkinson's testimony, told the Examiner's buyer in York. In another conversation with York, a second source revealed, quote, what Atkinson, uh, Atkinson said was that the whistleblower self-disclosed that he was a registered Democrat and that he had a prior working relationship with a current 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. According to York, Atkinson did not reveal that the, the uh, Democratic presidential candidate's identity or touch on the nature of the working relationship. But the examiner's report, this information, raises further questions about the so-called whistleblower and his complaint which alleges that the president tried to pressure uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky to investigate allegations of corruptions against Joe, uh, corruption against Joe Biden and his son. In an August 26th letter, Atkinson said, the officer was found to have harbored political bias in favor of a rival candidate uh, to President Trump. York's report contradicts a claim by CNN uh, anchor Jake Tapper, who stated last week that so-called the so-called whistleblower's political bias was that he was a registered Democrat. No, it's much much more than that. So, and we also so we have that bombshell. Not just a Democrat, not just a fan of a 2020 Democrat who's running against President Trump, but somebody who had a professional relationship with that preferred candidate, and that has a lot of people asking a lot more questions, including how much of this did Adam Schiff know, and when did he know it? Because remember, the whistleblower originally came not to the IG but to Adam Schiff. The Democrat who has been screaming for the impeachment of Donald Trump for over two years. They went right to somebody who wanted to impeach him and said, here, look what I found. The real question is, is how much of that was coordinated prior to the whistleblower reporting to Adam Schiff's staff? In other words, was he working for Adam Schiff and other congressional Democratic committee chairs? Was he working for Schiff? Was he working for Nadler? Were others out there, deep state operatives, if you will, working within the CIA saying, we want to impeach this guy. Find us something to impeach him with, and as soon as you get it, bring it back to us. This is where the investigation should go. This is, is the, this is the, the Russian witch hoax, or witch hunt, the hoax, Accommodation there, I guess, call it a witch hoax. Um, what they did to Donald Trump is exactly what we should be inspecting and investigating right now. Was there a collusionary effort, a coordinated conspiracy between Adam Schiff and other uh, members of the intelligence community, particularly those in the CIA, which this alleged whistleblower is supposedly a part of, was there a direct order or a plot or a, a, a an agreement between congressional Democrats and these officials saying, look, we have been trying to impeach this guy for two years. We couldn't do it on Russia. Find me something else. And sure enough, all right, well, we just heard Trump on a call with the president of Ukraine. Uh, here, how about this? And they took it to the staff of Adam Schiff before they took it to the inspector general in the intelligence community. That suggests coordination, collaboration, and yes, there's the other C word, collusion. That suggests collusion, and it should be investigated. And President Trump is speaking out about that. He is on fire this morning. He's got his little Twitter thumb, uh, Twitter thumbs working overdrive. I will tell you what the president says about this coming right up. It's 918, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. 
WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. And to burn the crowd that has a name. All right, 923, now the Bob Branch Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. If you want to get in, 216-901-0945 again, or 888-281-1110. We'll put you on the radio. Uh, the president uh, is responding to a lot of the news that I just shared with you this morning, the breaking news about the whistleblower and his professional relationship with one of the 2020 candidates working against Donald Trump. Uh, in this uh, election cycle. Uh, so the president responded to that news with this tweet, quote, a total scam by the dude. This is two hours ago. So the president has been very busy this morning. A total scam by the do-nothing Democrats. For the good of the country, this witch hunt should end now. The president is 100% correct. Next, from the thumbs of the president, quote, The whistleblower's facts have been so incorrect about my no-pressure conversation with the Ukrainian president. And now the conflict of interest and involvement with the Democratic candidate that he or she should be exposed and questioned properly. This is no whistleblower. The whistleblower, the next tweet, the whistleblower's lawyer is a big Democrat. The whistleblower has ties to one of my Democrat opponents. Why does the ICIG allow this scam to continue? Talking about, again, the Intelligence Committee Inspector General. Uh, he then retweeted a very interesting uh, segment last night, which I'm going to try to share with you as well from Tucker Carlson. Life under Democrat rule. If the Democrats should win the White House and have uh, a supermajority by having both the House and the Senate as well, what would life look like? I heard and actually watched that segment last night as well. The president certainly liked it because he retweeted that segment. That was his third tweet of the morning. Uh, also two hours ago, the president retweeting Representative Doug Collins who tweeted, this is why I joined at Representative Andy Biggs Arizona's resolution to censure Adam Schiff. And it reads the following. Now, however, it has been reported that the whistleblower approached the House Intelligence Committee with information and received guidance from the committee before filing a complaint with the Inspector General. I covered all of this last segment. As a result... The Washington Post concluded that Chairman Schiff clearly made a statement that was false. Anyone who was involved in the preparation or submission of the whistleblower's complaint cannot possibly act as a fair and impartial judge in the same manner, particularly after misleading the American people about his involvement. So that was the president's fourth tweet of the morning, the retweet of Representative Doug Collins' statement. The president said, quote, he should be impeached, talking about Schiff, for fraud. The president tweeted two hours ago this. The United Na- this is a retweet of CBS Evening News, which says, The United Nations is running a deficit of $230 million and may run out of money by the end of October. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez says in a letter obtained by CBS News' Pamela Falk. The president's response to that by retweeting it was, quote, So make all member countries pay, not just the United States. Agree, by the way. president's right on the money. President's next tweet was in response to this Twitter moment, which read, The White House said Turkey will be moving forward with its long-planned operation into northern Syria and will be responsible for all ISIS fighters captured in the area. The president said one hour ago, quote, 
fighting between various groups that has been going on for hundreds of years. USA should never have been in the Middle East. I've got to pause and just shake my head at this. Moved our 50 soldiers out. Turkey must take over captured ISIS fighters that Europe refused to have returned. The stupid endless wars for us are ending. I'm going to have to bite my tongue here. I'm going to have to bite my tongue here. ISIS has been targeting Americans and American allies uh, since its formation after Barack Obama foolishly pulled our troops out of Iraq uh, preemptively. ISIS is our enemy. We commissioned the Kurds to fight them for us. And now we are going to allow the Kurds, most of them Christians, living and working and fighting in Islamic countries where they are targeted. We're going to allow the Kurds to be slaughtered by the Turks moving in. I don't understand this from the president. president tweeted one hour ago, quote, The United States has spent $8 trillion fighting and policing in the Middle East. Thousands of our great soldiers have died or been badly wounded. Millions of of people have died on either side, or on the other side, rather. Going into the Middle East is the worst decision ever made in the history of our country. We went to war under a false and now disproven premise, weapons of mass destruction. President Trump is wrong, and he needs to stop saying things that he knows nothing about. He's wrong on this. We did not go to war under a false and disproven premise, weapons of mass destruction. We absolutely did not. He goes on to say there were none. Absolutely false. I should bring Claire Lopez back on and maybe have her educate the president. Now we are slowly and carefully bringing our great soldiers and military home. Our focus is on the big picture. The USA is greater than ever before. The president is wrong in this series of tweets, period. As much as I will praise him for all of the other tweets, because he was right. Sometimes he's right, sometimes he's not. And that's wrong. Our enemies attacked us from the Middle East, Mr. President. Should we not have gone to Afghanistan either? With the knowledge that the the Taliban provided funding and training for the 9-11 hijackers? The terrorists who brought the war to us? We have been attacked by terrorists from the Middle East since the 1970s, countless numbers of times. Don't tell me that it was the biggest mistake to go after those people who have been attacking us. That is exactly what our military is for. One hour ago, the president tweeted, I told you he was busy this morning. One hour ago, the president also tweeted, quote, The do-nothing Democrats are con artists, only looking to hurt the Republican Party and the president. Their total focus in 2020 and nothing more and nothing less, or I'm sorry, is 2020, nothing more and nothing less. The good news is that we will win. Now we're back to the president being right. Well done. You are 100% right. This is all about politics. This is not about the law. It's not about the Constitution. It's about destroying you, sir, before 2020 because they can't beat you in 2020. Very correct. 42 minutes ago, the president tweeted, quote, the so-called, he's all over the map today, by the way. You notice this, this steer, this string of tweets that I'm reading. They're just about so many different things, and then it comes back to one that he had started before. It's like stream of consciousness thought, all just being expressed through his thumbs. Um, the so-called whistleblower, before knowing I was going to release the exact transcript, stated that my call with the Ukrainian president was crazy, frightening, and completely lacking in substance related to national security. This is a very big lie. Read the transcript. Again, the president is 100% correct.
The transcript is all we need. We don't need whistleblower testimony. We don't need some second or third hand review of what the president and the Ukrainian president said. We can read it for ourselves. Correct again, Mr. President. And finally, no pressure at all, said Ukraine. Very congenial, a perfect call. The whistleblower and others spoke before seeing the transcript. Now they must apologize to me and stop this ridiculous impeachment. There it is. That's the capper of the president's tweet storm this morning. He was right on probably 90% of those tweets. A problem with the Syria and uh, Middle East discussion. But there you have it. I'll get your reaction next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. 936 now, the Bob France Authority continuing on AM 1420. The answer again, Ryan Moore going to be joining us from the Clarion Project and the Clarion Intelligence Network. Brian, or uh, Ryan rather, uh, is going to give us his thoughts on the Syrian situation, the Turkish situation, the president's decision, whether or not, uh, the Pentagon is in agreement with the president on this. There have been conflicting reports on that. But before we do that, I want to remind you about something that is very important to me and it's something that we are shining a spotlight on all month long. And that is Heartbeat International the first network of pro-life pregnancy resource centers in the United States, and more specifically for Option Line. Option Line is a 24-7 nationwide contact center. It's available every day in English and Spanish for women who find themselves, or girls who find themselves in uh, uh, the unfortunate situation of a pregnancy that they did not intend, they did not plan. It's an option for them to save the life of their baby rather than turning to the drastic decision to terminate the life of that baby. And the uh, option line is an extraordinarily important tool here. Most pregnancy uh, pregnancy help centers rather offer medical services, including free ultrasound and pregnancy testing. A growing number of these centers offer free STI testing. Um, pregnancy centers do not make a profit from helping women in need. It's a nonprofit organization whose sole goal is to save babies' lives. And to listen to some of the stories of women who called Option Line through Heartbeat International and made the decision not to end their baby's life before it could even begin is is heart-wrenching. I want you to listen to one of those stories. I'll start off, I guess, when I met my son's father. I met him. He was my first boyfriend, and I was absolutely in love. I thought that everything was great, and um, he told me that he wanted to start a family, and I was ready to start a family with this man I thought was so incredible. And so I remember when I got the positive pregnancy test, I was actually super excited to tell him. I was like, okay, this is like, this is what he wanted. And this is so great. And so he actually came to my work on my lunch break and I went out to his car and sat down and I told him and I saw the look on his face and instantly knew that he was not as excited as I thought he would be. We were kind of trying to figure out what we were going to do at that point. And so we did a Google search and I found the Fallbrook Pregnancy Resource Center and I was like, I don't know what to do. I think I should go to a doctor. I don't really know where to go. Okay, we'll start here, get some answers. And so we went in there together and um, we walked in. She confirmed the pregnancy. She took us to the back and told us our options. And I already knew that parenting was the only option for me. I had chosen to have this child and I was excited about it. and. I knew that I was going to parent him. So I started meeting with Claire weekly and we got into some really in-depth counseling sessions. Sometimes my boyfriend would be with me. Sometimes it was just me and her. But um, once I found out I was pregnant, he became verbally abusive. So at that point, it made me feel like I deserved everything. So I was kind of there and I guess Claire was there to show me 
my value and why I didn't deserve it. And I don't know, coming when you feel so low about yourself and having someone love you, even though you feel like you're a terrible person, it was just really incredible. <laughs> and it was through her help that I was, I was able to finally work my way out of that relationship. And um, I had my son, he was incredible. <sighs> the biggest joy of my life, he's so sweet. A couple weeks before my son's first birthday that I got the positive pregnancy test. And at that point, I kind of knew that we were rocky and I knew that there was a good chance that I was going to be doing this alone. And with Milo, I was considering abortion. I'm sorry, I don't know. Like, I just felt like it wasn't fair for Oliver to have another child. And so the thoughts kind of went through my head, but they kind of, they fleeted away. I knew that I, I just didn't think that that was going to be what I was going to do. I found out that the doctors actually told me there was no baby. They said um, that I was having a miscarriage, but something didn't feel right. So I actually set up an appointment with the resource center to get an ultrasound. I told them the doctors say there's no baby. I think they're wrong. So at the resource center, that's when I first saw Milo. I saw his heartbeat and I was like, I knew they were wrong. <laughs> but um, that's Milo. <laughs> and um, he's just, he's, he's just so incredible. And what I thought was going to be the biggest punishment to my son ended up being the best gift I could give him he's an incredible big brother and Milo was so sweet and full of life and he's just so adventurous that's Jessica's story everybody's story is a little bit different all of the reasons women may be considering abortion for unplanned pregnancies or pregnancies that maybe were planned but situations changed before uh, the the due date uh, everyone has a different story. There is an alternative, and you can find out what those options are. The government funds the organizations that kill babies, like Planned Parenthood. The government funds that. The government doesn't fund organizations that try to save babies' lives. So what does that mean? That means that's our job. We have to fund the organizations to save babies' lives. $75. One donation of $75 will allow the call center at Option Line to take calls for one hour and refer these women to pregnancy centers who can help them save their babies' lives. $150 would, apply, would allow for two hours of calls a day, $450 for four hours, $900 for a half day, $1,800. If you are well off enough to do this, save lives. $1,800 would sponsor a full day of phone calls to the Heartbeat International Option Line. Please uh, take a look at our website, which is whkradio.com. Click the Option Line banner at the top of the page and donate today. Again, the government doesn't care about saving babies. The government funds the organizations that kill babies. So we have to fund the organizations to save them. Look for the Option Line banner on whkradio.com. All right, I want to get back to some of the important news of this morning. Yesterday, as you know, we talked about it at length. Um, there was a Supreme Court oral arguments. There were oral arguments made before the Supreme Court respecting the redefinition or redefining of the word sex to include psychological delusions known as transgenderism. I'm always going to call this that because that is exactly what we are talking about, a biological male with a psychological delusion that has him thinking that he's actually a female. is something that should be treated, not with sex hormones, but with psychological therapy or psychiatric therapy, as the case may be. Uh, because what one, if one thinks one is a dog, but one is actually a human, we don't treat that person like a dog. We treat that person like a human who's got a psychological condition. Um, redefining sex 
to be able to include it uh, in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which was passed essentially to declare everyone equal so there would be no discrimination, discrimination based on race, would be a tremendous upheaval in our society, and it would be very, very dangerous for women. This was one of the arguments that was made yesterday uh, before the Supreme Court. And if you're wondering how is this going to play out, what chance is there that the Supreme Court could actually side um, with the plaintiffs in this case that is, that uh, sued a funeral home in Arizona? Is it in Arizona? Now I kind of forgot the city or state. I apologize. Uh, but sued a funeral homeowner who... Um, terminated a male employee who had risen through six years all the way up to the position of uh, planner, funeral planner and embalmer, um, had to terminate that person because that person decided he was going to be a woman now and started to wear women's clothes, uh, which is a violation of their employee dress code. The lawsuit says this was sex discrimination. Clearly, it was not sex discrimination because this person was a male. He was just being told to dress like a male if you're going to work for us. Um, they want to redefine sex to include gender um, identification or gender identity. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, one of President Trump's appoint, appointees, had a very interesting exchange with one of the lawyers representing the plaintiffs who sued, uh, which is the EEOC, who sued the uh, funeral home director uh, and uh, owner and others, and maybe gave us a hint as to what the court is going to do here. Gorsuch said, essentially, on expanding the definition of sex discrimination uh, to cover trans and gay individuals, he said it would cause a massive social upheaval. This is Breitbart reporting. The United States Supreme Court heard oral arguments on two cases to ask the court to expand the sex discrimination protections in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to cover homosexuals and transgenders. Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia, and Altitude Express versus Zarata were brought by homosexual men who claimed they were fired because of their sexual orientation. But it's R.G. and G.R. Harris Funeral Homes, Inc. versus the EEOC, centering on a man fired after he announced he had changed his name and would now be coming to work as a woman. The business's sex-specific dress code required women to wear skirts as their work uniform. That is the real issue here. Justice Neil Gorsuch had an exchange with David Cole, attorney for Amy Stevens, who uh, was William Stevens for the six years he worked at the funeral home, first as an apprentice, then, as I noted, as a funeral director and uh, embalmer. Cole said the attorney for the male, who thinks he's female, uh, said Stevens would have been fired even if he had complied with the dress code for women in the funeral home because he was a man, a clear case of sex discrimination, he argued. Gorsuch said, quote, I'd just like you to have a chance to respond to Judge Lynch. This is in the lower court decision that came up, uh, brought it up to the Supreme Court. I'd like you to have a chance to respond to Judge Lynch in his thoughtful dissent, in which he lamented everything you have before us, but suggested that something as drastic as a change in this country, as bathrooms in every place of employment and dress codes in every place of employment that are otherwise gender neutral, would be changed, that that's an essentially legislative decision. Judge Lynch is a very thoughtful judge and wrote a very thoughtful opinion that I think he probably regretted having to write, Gorsuch said. What do you say to him? The attorney responded, I say that recognizing that transgender people have a right to exist in the workplace and not be turned away because of who they are does not end dress codes or restrooms. There are transgender lawyers in this courtroom today. Now I'm going to pause there. 
in the sharing of this story to editorialize, as I am wont to do. Um, Nobody is saying transgender people don't have a right to exist. What we are saying is that employers have the right to certain expectations of their employees. And among them may be not to cause a disruption, particularly in one as sensitive as a funeral home. Not to, uh, quite, you know, quite frankly, let's just be real here. When families come in to make the final resting arrangements for their loved one, they're at a time of grieving, sitting across a desk from somebody trying to plan the event for them, you know, a guy with a beard and a wig and a dress on, isn't going to be comforting to them. It can be very traumatic. And it's the employer's decision to decide, you know, employer's right to decide, rather, uh, how he wants to conduct or run that business. Secondly, this is not sex discrimination because it's not hiring based on whether you are a male or a female. It's whether or not you are conforming to the norms established by the business. And transgenderism, a psychological delusion, is not something that can or should be allowed to supersede the rights of the business owner. Gorsuch responded to Cole back to the story. That's not the question, Mr. Cole. Mr. Cole, the question is a matter of the judicial role and the modesty in interpreting statutes that are old, and that's the question he posed. Nobody is questioning, and certainly he did not, the legitimacy of the claims and the importance of them, Gorsuch said. The question, though, is about judicial interpretation, if you wish to address it. Cole said this. Now, this is big, and I want you to understand the fight that we are in right now and the significance of this Supreme Court case. Ordinarily, I wouldn't spend this much time on a single case in the Supreme Court. But if, if we lose this, if the Supreme Court goes liberal, and it may because Brett Kavanaugh has not been the conservative stalwart many have been hoping for. Justice John Roberts, the Chief Justice, has not been the conservative stalwart, the originalist, many of us were hoping for. They have sided with the liberal side of the, of the court too many times for us, us to be super confident about this. If they go the wrong way, the rights of women and girls in this country are going to be eroded away quickly. Not, not eventually, but actually quickly in many different ways. Cole said the plaintiff was not asking to change the definition of sex as it was defined in 1964, but argued that it was because of his sex as a man who wanted to be present, or to present rather, as a woman that caused the termination. Gorsuch said the uh, case could be close on the textual review of, review of the 1964 law, but that social implications are much broader. Quote, at the end of the day, he should he or she take into consideration the massive social upheaval that would be entailed in such a decision? and the possibility that that Congress just didn't think about it. That is more effective, more appropriate, a legislative rather than a judicial function. Cole argued transgenders are not disruptive. First of all, he said, federal courts of appeals have been recognizing that discrimination against transgender people is sex discrimination for 20 years. There's been no upheaval. And I'm going to stop there and, and argue with this attorney you're telling me there has been no upheaval? That's because we don't have it on the scale that we're talking about. He goes on to argue that there are 11.3 million LGBTQ adults in the United States. I don't know what percentage of those are the T in that alphabet soup, the transgenders, but whatever that number is, if we redefine sex to include it as 
uh, transgender or sexual, or excuse me, gender identity, women will lose all privacy in public places. Women and girls would lose Title IX protections when it comes to equality of opportunities in uh, school events, in sporting events, in the workplace, and in other, in other areas because biological, anatomical, chromosomal males presenting as women would be booting them from the competitive playing fields. This is more than just social upheaval, as Justice Gorsuch called it. This would be societal disruption. It might, they might sound similar, but social just makes it sound a little bit less important than societal. Our society would be turned upside down. Generations, centuries of societal norms, including men and women being recognized as different and not crossing over into one another, that places of of undress, various places of privacy that have been respected for generations would be eliminated. Women and girls would take a massive step back in our society if males are allowed to pretend that they are females, all due to their psychological delusions granted by the United States government and the United States Supreme Court. That's what this is about. Friends, do not overlook this. Do not gloss over this. This is massive, and I hope we're paying it its due attention. 953, right back after this. All right, 9.58, very short segment here, obviously, before the top of the hour. Um, just a couple of quick anecdotal stories on what I just talked about and in, in the importance of it. Uh, the first one coming from a female high school athlete who, outside the Supreme Court yesterday, as they heard those arguments, uh, which would undermine um, uh, women's rights uh, all over this country, which just cannot be allowed to happen, a female high school athlete said, uh, that having to compete with men on the soccer field crushes the dreams of women. Grace is a soccer and softball player. Spoke out in front of the Supreme Court on Tuesday as justices heard those arguments about whether federal anti-discrimination laws should apply to sexual orientation or gender identity. She's a high school junior and said, sports have always been a critical part of my life. She has grown into be a very competitive athlete. And she said when she has to compete against men, against boys, uh, her advantage as a competitive athlete disappears. She said, quote, I believed it when they told me if I worked hard enough, I could do anything. That being a girl isn't a limitation. If that, uh, that if she believes she can, she will. Soccer taught me discipline, she said. The rewards that come with hard work ethic, a hard work ethic, and most importantly, what leadership looks like. However, she said, after spending hours of training and practice and giving up social activities in order to compete with top level athletes, quote, you make it to the field and you see a high school boy across from you. Not as a coach, not as an assistant, but as a player. It's confusing. Your entire team's focus and motivation is lost and defeated. Your spirit of yes, we can is quickly replaced by why even try. She said a boy's hitting ability gives the opposing team an edge of a, of a couple of runs if it's baseball or softball. And in soccer, the speeds, speed and size of the boys simply make it impossible for the girls to compete against. And that's, of course, why. We have separate sports for boys and girls, because she's 100% right. And she is saying, why uh, should we eliminate that protection for women and for girls? Another uh, uh, a story from a power lifter, a female power lifter, 
spoke out yesterday outside the court. She is the founder of Save Women's Sports. And outside the Supreme Court yesterday, Beth Stelzer uh, joined other women in uh, saying very directly that, quote, conflating gender identity with sex undermines women because women cannot possibly lift as much in that competitive sport as men can, even if they wear clothes that say, call me a woman. And finally, the last anecdotal story, um, a person named Walt Heyer was making his own case about the lies being told about gender dysphoria on the steps of the high court. He has credibility on the subject. In the 1940s, I'm sorry, not in the 1940s, excuse me, in his 40s, he started taking hormones. He had gender reassignment surgery and lived as Laura Jensen for eight years before realizing he had completely allowed his mind to delude him about what he really was. He, along with hundreds of other people who have undergone sexual reassignment surgery, now live with extraordinary regret and trying to transition back to what their biological sex was is one of the hardest things in the world for them to do. Do not let children and young people make these rash decisions. He made the decision in his 40s, and it was the wrong one. It is simply unconscionable. In my estimation, it's it's medical malpractice, but that's just my opinion. So those are some of the stories that come from the court uh, during yesterday's oral arguments. All right, 10 one we'll get news now. Ryan Morrow from the Clarion Project joins us next right here on AM 